This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. If you did you didn't hear from me yesterday. You probably wondered why. Well, it's because my vacation got postponed. A member of our family tested positive for COVID, so you can't get on the ship with a positive test. And so we had to postpone. Hopefully everybody will be good when we get ready to go again. But, uh, but here we are. So you'll get a regular schedule of Boneyard uh, for the foreseeable future. We'll talk about some of the uh, baseball transfer portal stuff that's going on around the Southeastern Conference. We'll look ahead to the College World Series, and we'll talk a little bit about the uh, Banner Year documentary. The debut last night on the SEC Network. Our own David Murray, a participant in that production. Always good to see Dave get involved. Yeah, I tell you guys, you know, Dave Murray has been a mentor to me for many years. And I've always had such a tremendous respect for Dave's knowledge about Mississippi State Athletics. And in many respects, I've kind of aspired to be the Dave Murray of my generation in that respect. Of course, Dave and I don't use the same barbers. Uh, I don't have one. He doesn't need one. Uh, but all that said, uh, very happy that David's involved in all that. I thought it was very well done. And so we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in the show. I want to thank uh, you guys, too, for hanging in here with us. I had a lot of people reach out today and said, hey, Steve, enjoy your vacation. Don't worry about the show. Don't worry about the website. Well, I always worry about the show and the website and the social media presence, and maybe perhaps I shouldn't. But I was very much looking forward to having some time to spend with uh, my children kind of away from Starkville. Nothing against Starkville, but uh, I like to get out and go make memories. As you guys know, even though I have been very fortunate in life, I would rather do things than have things. And uh, having a chance to get out and go make some memories with my kids, very important to me. I lead a very busy life, and sometimes uh, they don't get to see their dad very often. And when they do, it's usually associated with the Mississippi State sporting event. A lot of times I have them meet me there, take them to dinner, hang out with them a little bit. Uh, before and after but it would have been nice to be able to uh, go to the Bahamas which was the plan and be able to walk along those white sandy beaches and enjoy that cool clear water that the Bahamas have to offer but that'll have to wait but here we are so good top 10 list today too we went with another one of Roy's suggestions excited about the list I think you guys are gonna like it I took uh, music I guess from about five different decades and put this thing together for you doesn't that always work that way not always. I tell you this too, I've gotten, I still continue to get messages from you guys about the band Ra. You know, I, I, I love Ra. I, I have always loved Ra since the very beginning. I was on the, I was probably one of the first people in the state of Mississippi that had a Ra album, much less two. But I get people from time to time that will just message me and say, hey Steve, I listened to that Ra list and I can't stop listening to these guys. I absolutely love them, and uh, that makes me really happy. I like being able to share the joy of music with you guys. I don't suspect on today's list that you're going to have uh, many bands you haven't heard of. Kind of a classic rock list in many respects, with some new blood in there as well. But uh, 
I do appreciate your messages. Again, people reach out and say, Steve, I've never heard of this band. I've never heard this song. Uh, even my friend Demi Brown has said, hey, Steve, thanks for always expanding my musical horizons on the top 10 list. And so happy to do that. And uh, whoever thought two years ago that would still be a big part of our show. But it is. It is. Also, let's take some time, too, to, um, to look ahead to baseball. You guys may be aware of this. You should have been. It was announced some time ago. But, uh, we, you know, with all the other teams playing, and, of course, after watching Banner Year, we're thinking, man, I miss baseball season. And I do. I miss being able to watch the Diamond Dogs play. I miss being able to go to Duty Noble Field and kind of spend an evening or an afternoon there at the greatest baseball facility in the country. And I would say probably the world. That's right. We'll go ahead and claim it. The world's greatest college baseball stadium. So I miss being there. I miss not being able to be there for the regionals and seeing 15,000 of our closest friends being there. And, of course, the Super Regional with all the anxiety and all the hope of getting to Omaha again. I miss all those things. I do. In some ways, I feel like we got cheated a little bit. I do. And uh, that's not to say it's anybody's fault. I mean, obviously, there's some blame to go around. But when you have the injuries that we had and how it kind of compounded on us, it, um, it made it difficult. Now we're trying to fix it. We're going to talk about some of that uh, in the next segment of the show. Uh, but Mississippi State will begin the 2023 college baseball season back in the Frisco Classic. You know, we were there a couple years ago. Only got a chance to play two games because it was so wet and windy and cold that they decided to cancel game three. And I was there. Uh, Todd Horkin and I went. Rafael Palmero threw out the first pitch. It was really, really nice. It's a great facility. And so if you're thinking about that for next year, go ahead and start making some plans to attend because the facility is fantastic. It will be a little chilly. It will be. But, you know, that's when we we beat Sam Houston State. We beat Texas Tech. That's when we had the walk-off pickoff at first from Cole Gordon. And we didn't get to play. I guess it was Nebraska in game three. I think that's right. But I remember getting to the ballpark. I always like to get there early. I like to get there early and get all my stuff settled and kind of get my pregame articles together uh, and then, you know, have something to eat and walk around, take some pictures during warm-ups. And so I get to the stadium, and there's nobody there, not even – not the teams, not the event management staff, security. Nobody was there. And so I reach out to our friend Greg Campbell, who was uh, SID for baseball at the time. Greg says, hey, I was just about to call you. We're getting ready to get on a plane to go home. The coaches all got together and decided to cancel the game. They don't want anybody getting hurt. Not good conditions out here. And so let me encourage you, too, if you're looking to go to Frisco, get your souvenirs day one. Because after day two, there's not going to be any of the good stuff left. That Frisco Classic shirt, it's a really cool shirt. It's one of those things that's kind of rare. You can't get it in Starkville. You can only get it there at the venue, and it's in limited quantities. So plan to get your souvenirs on day one. We'll travel tip for you. And, again, that's Oklahoma, Cal, Mississippi State and Ohio State. That's the four-team pod. So that'll be interesting. Oklahoma, of course, and Omaha this year, right? So they should, you know, we'll see what kind of team they return. You know, we played them, uh, I guess it was in the 2018 regional down in Hattiesburg. I drilled the first day and came back and won the thing uh, later. We didn't get any, any love from the broadcast crew. It was all about Oklahoma and about will this guy play, a guy that hadn't played in months. 
but nevertheless, we'll be back out there again. Should be a chance for us to go out there and have a winning weekend and get our season off on the right foot. So go ahead and start thinking ahead. I believe you can go ahead and order tickets. Again, just Google the Frisco Classic, and you'll find that. Uh, it's very, very easy to find. And again, it's one of the better tournaments. It's not Globe Life. It's not, which was great, being able to be inside. Wish we could get in a thing every year, honestly. We have a great alumni base uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It would be great to be able to be part of that. I think Arkansas kind of has a permanent invitation. Lucky them. But uh, the reality of it is is that uh, we are invited again to an important tournament to begin the year. And so a chance for us again to play you know, some Power 5 teams that could potentially help us in the RPI, even though Ohio State uh, has not been a great program. I would much rather play those teams and be tested than maybe perhaps play, you know, you know, the Bulldog Classic with a handful of uh, teams that aren't going to help us in the RPI late. It's an important factor. It is. And I do expect Mississippi State to be back next year. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I told you guys I had the Sloppy Joe sliders the other day. It's a great lunch portion. I, I like it for dinner, too. You're, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, I'm not really that hungry, but I want something with some substance to it. I want some protein. The Sloppy Joe Sliders is a can't-miss selection. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer, whether you get it to go or you eat in person. You'll be glad you did because they make you and everybody around you better looking. It is now on the menu. That makes it official. Trust the science. If you're looking for a great rock and roll hamburger, there's plenty to choose from. You can get the Bulldog, which is really kind of a no-frills burger. That's not to say that they've pulled anything back. It is a fabulous hamburger. But it doesn't have the exotic stuff to it. If you want to walk on the wild side a little bit, maybe get the Mission. I get the Pico de Gallo on the side so I can kind of control the distribution. Uh, I like the pimentology, add bacon. That'll put some hair on your chest. It will. Now, that's not for little kids. I'm just going to tell you now. And that's not like for young people, too, that, uh, you, know, you know, maybe they're Pet Shop Boys listeners or whatever. You know, I mean, it, the, the pimentology at bacon, that's a serious burger. I mean, so make sure you've got a serious appetite when you order that. Get that chocolate shake to go or perhaps get the Shipwish Donuts bread pudding. You can't go wrong either way. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Bridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check it out today. Be sure and tell them that I sent you. Bulldog Record Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take some time and let's talk about the NCAA transfer portal for baseball. Now, we have had 11 transfers this year. Don't expect any more, but you never know. I mean, it could always be a guy that gets back from summer baseball that says, hey, coach, I I think I'm going to go. Not expecting any of that. You know, there are always rumors. People like, oh, well, you know, the sky is falling, Steve. We're going to bulldoze the stadium and, and, and padlock the doors and close campus. You know, uh, that's not going to happen. But we don't expect any of the transfers. We've got 11 guys in the portal. People say, man, Steve, why so many? Hey, guys, we had 12 last year. This is kind of where we are. Now, some of that, too, is we've had some misses in recruiting. You know, you go get a guy like Jack Walker is a great example. Jack Walker was the national pitcher of the year, according to Rawlings, and he didn't pitch like it here. I don't know if it's a situation perhaps where he had to pitch before he was ready. You know, maybe he wasn't 100%. I don't know. But that's a guy that we really counted on to really be a dude for us, and now he's in the portal. We wish him the absolute best. Jack Walker is a fine young man. It just simply didn't work out here. Let's take a look at the SEC portal. 
our, our friend John Whittle that uh, helps manage our South Carolina side. He is a baseball nut, much like me. I enjoy – like when South Carolina comes to Dirty Noble Field, John comes. When I go to Founders Park in South Carolina, John's there. You know, so he is a guy that's kind of committed to baseball, uh, much like I am. I think it's important for people to, to get out and provide coverage for this great sport. And I don't think there's any question. You know, John is a guy, too, that's he's kind of a baseball nerd like me. And, I, and I'm, I'm proud to be a baseball nerd. There's no question about it. I, mean, I think that's one of those things, too, where, um, you know, we need more people like that. We need more people in our industry that are willing to cover college baseball, even if it's not just their team. Like, I wrote an article yesterday about how the NCAA transfer portal kind of shaped the road to Omaha for the SEC teams. And you, you can go check that out yourself. A&M absolutely loaded up in the portal. And a lot of their contributors this year are guys in the portal. You look at Arkansas. Their top two hitters this year, Lanzelli and Clark. Lanzelli, a grad transfer from Wake Forest, and then Michael Turner, my homeboy, from Kent State, a catcher. God, it's been a hero. And I know many of you are kind of Arkansas haters. And let me, let me offer you this, too. Is someone who has a daughter-in-law that grew up an Arkansas fan. I've been around a lot of Arkansas fans. I've been to Baumwalker Stadium multiple times. The way that Arkansas is maybe misrepresented on Twitter is not truly indicative of that fan base. They're a lot like us. They love college baseball. They do respect Mississippi State. They want to beat us, and they do gloat when they do. And same thing for us. You know, we, we respect them as a program, but we want to beat them because we understand the significance of the win. But what you, this, this craziness you see on Twitter, it's not truly indicative of Arkansas. It's just not. And, and that's just been my experience. And I, I've, I love going there and talking college baseball with those folks because there's a lot of those folks that, that know me. Uh, and so I'm, I'll be out there walking the concourse, going to get some of those uh, pulled pork nachos. And then somebody will say, hey, you're the Mississippi State guy. And so we'll sit there and we'll talk. And they're, they're not just fans of Arkansas. They're fans of the league, and they can talk to you about A&M and about Ole Miss and about OSU, and, and they love having somebody else around that kind of has a different viewpoint. So I do enjoy going to Arkansas. I don't enjoy watching us go out there and lose, I can promise you that, because, I, again, I understand the significance. But let's take a look at kind of what's happened so far. Now, this is through last week. There may have been some new entrants into the portal this week in the SEC. I don't know. I hadn't done a lot of due diligence about who's going in this week. There may be some. So if you hear – if you don't hear a name that maybe has gone in the last couple days, you'll know why. Because this list is a few days old. Now, it's going to grow. These teams get eliminated. They will. Alabama, of course, uh, they have five guys in the portal. Davis Heller, Owen Diodotti, and that's, that's a guy that can really swing it. His strikeout numbers are a little bit high. He does have some pop. A lot of people think we should go after him. I don't know that we do. Uh, Graham Crawford. Uh, James Theus and Jacob Eddington. I, I would say the big name, of course, from Alabama is Diodati. Arkansas, at this point, and, and again, they're, they're still playing baseball, so they may have some guys that go into the portal later. Arkansas currently has five guys in the portal. Evan Gray, Vincent Trapani, uh, Mark Adamaic, Dave Varnado, and Gabriel Darcy. Darcy's been in since February, so this is you know not, not, not a new development. Auburn, of course, still playing, currently has four in the portal. Lucas Burke, Brayton Brown, William Morrison, and Peyton Seibrandt. Uh, those guys have been in. Morrison, a grad transfer. 
Georgia, they're done playing. They've got seven guys in the portal. And the thing that I've always thought about Georgia, and we had this show after I got back from Athens about how I don't want to be Georgia. Like I looked out there, you see that in that one NAFL championship sticker on the wall. I'm like, that's not going to be us. I'm not going to live with that. Because you know how hopeful they probably were, you know, in the early 90s after they won one. And they really haven't been close since then. I guess maybe one year they were. Yeah, they got one year. They played for it one year. But you kind of understand my point. I don't want to be one and done like Georgia. And it's really no excuse for Georgia's not better. You know, with all that, I mean, Metro Atlanta, it's baseball crazy a town as that is. Why, why isn't Georgia better? I don't get it. They got seven guys in right now. Taron Watkins, Hank Bearden, Garrett uh, Madliak, Joshua Stinson, Michael Taylor, William Poindexter, and Glenn Green. And these are all, you know, relatively new entrants. It's happened in, within the last 30 days. Kentucky so far only has two. Uh, Wyatt Hudipole and Kirk Liebert. Liebert is a grad transfer. Both of those guys went in earlier this month. LSU with six. LSU's done playing. LSU expected to be aggressive in the transfer portal again this year. Uh, probably the biggest name on their list is uh, Giovanni DiGiacomo. Coolest name in the SEC. A guy that, you know, had some good at-bats against Mississippi State in his career, but really has been fairly inconsistent. I don't think Mississippi State chases him. I think there are better options out there that have had better levels of production. And we'll get to some of that a little bit later. Uh, Michael Fowler, Brennan Holt, Brody Drost, Anthony Priester, and Alex Brady. Brady, a grad transfer. Of course, Mississippi State with 11 in the portal right now. Jack Walker, Davis Mesh, Braywin Skinner, who recently announced his transfer destination to Memphis. Wish Braywin the best. We discussed that on the show. Uh, Quarter, and then Bradley Wilson, Andrew Walling, Tepper, Trey Higgins, uh, Gray Bain, Taylor Montiel, and Blake McGeehee. Many of those names you're not quite as familiar with because they either redshirted this year or just uh, or didn't participate. And so I think it's important to understand that's going to happen every year with SEC teams or guys that want to go play. Now you'd say, Steve, that's a lot of names, and it is. Missouri actually has more. Hector Mangual is in. Nander DeSatis, that's a guy right there that I think could see some interest from some teams. This is a guy that can hit the baseball, uh, has a little power, has been a little bit error-prone at times, but somebody will pick him up. Jacob Cush is a grad transfer. It's a guy that's uh, we faced him a couple times. Shane Wilhelm, Brennan Maloney, Trey Robertson, their relation. Uh, Michael Coletti is a grad transfer. Coletta, excuse me. Uh, Zach Heiss, Holden Phelps, Raymond Schroeder, Samuel Bryan, Dexter Swims. And a lot of these guys have gone in within the last month. So another upheaval in the uh, roster there in Columbia. So far, Ole Miss has had one person go in the portal. Now, I'm told there are a couple more that will go in once Ole Miss is eliminated. I've been told that by some people pretty close to those players. So, and that may change. You know, it's like all of a sudden we're thinking there's going to be a coaching change and we're going to miss a tournament. And so maybe I need to go elsewhere. But now all of a sudden, not only do we make the tournament, we, we have swept the regionals and the super regionals, and now we're in Omaha. So there may be some guys that reconsider that decision. But so far, Samuel Ellis is the only guy in the portal. He's been in since May 5th. But hearing there could be a couple more. So we'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, South Carolina, nine in the portal so far. Uh, Colin Burgess, Samuel Simpson, Matthew Hogan is a grad transfer. 
uh, Craig Weens, Thad Ector, Aiden Hunter, Jalen Vasquez, Elijah Lambros, Vitus Valencius. How about that? He's in. So far, Tennessee has not had anybody go in. That said, unless something's happened this week, that said, I've heard there are one or two that may go in on the pitching side because they're pretty much going to return their weekend rotation for the most part intact. And they're going to lose some guys. And I think it's you – know, when you look at this Tennessee roster, it could look dramatically different next year. That's not to say that Tennessee won't be good, but they have four seniors, ten juniors, three grad transfers, and at least two sophomores that are draft eligible. I didn't look at the entire roster. So, guys, that's like 19, 20 guys right there that could be draft eligible. Does that mean they're all going to get drafted and signed? No, it doesn't. But they're going to be a bunch of balls. I guess there are three currently projected to go in the first round. And so that roster will look different. But to give Tony Vitale a lot of credit, they lost several good pieces a year ago and then became the greatest college baseball team in the country for this year. Now, I have read with great interest people say this is the greatest college baseball team of all time. It is absolutely not. It is absolutely not the greatest team of all time. Because in order to be the greatest team of all time, you've got to win a championship. You can say, hey, they, got, they had a great regular season. They did. Had a historic regular season. They did. They didn't make it to Omaha. They didn't make it to the College World Series final. They didn't, get, they didn't play for a championship. Well, they won the SEC. You know what? And if that's your goal, congratulations. Here in Starkville, Mississippi, we have higher aspirations. They say, but Steve, they won the SEC tournament. Guys, let me wake you up to something. The SEC tournament. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In the grand scheme of things, is absolutely meaningless. You know, when we were trying to kind of get back up the top of the hill, it was a big deal to win the tournament. It secured the automatic bid. But our approach now is much different. I ran the numbers the other day, too. You know, since they opened up the SEC tournament in 1977, and before that, in, in 77, there were just four four teams in the tournament. You know, before, we used to play, you know, the winner of the, the uh, East plays the winner of the West for the SEC championship. And so I ran the numbers on that. And so there have only been four teams, excuse me, four teams in the history of the Southeastern Conference Tournament to win the College World Series. Four. And one of those in 93 was a divisional winner. We didn't have an actual overall winner. We had an East winner, a West winner. So since 1998, since we moved to Hoover, there have been 24 SEC tournaments. 
Nine of those 24 winners went to Omaha, but only three of them won the national championship. And you look at the last two years, Arkansas, pretty much wire-to-wire number one, didn't make it out of Super Regional round. Tennessee, pretty much wire-to-wire, didn't make it out of Super Regional round. As a matter of fact, you go all the way back to 2010. From 2010 through 2022, only one team that won the SEC tournament also won the NAFL championship, and that's Vanderbilt that won the regular season title and the SEC tournament title and the NAFL championship. They were a machine that year. You know, we played them in Hoover. We played them in Omaha. We just couldn't get by that, and we just couldn't get them. They were just better than us. They were a machine. And so I heard last year from some people that cover Arkansas that Dave Van Horn really wanted to win the SEC tournament because they had never done it before. Well, they did. And I think in many respects they may have run out of gas a little bit. So it's interesting to go back and look at all that stuff. But, again, this Tennessee roster will look much different. But as long as Tony Vitello is there, I'm going to tell you, you're going to get more of the same. They're going to be a good team, no doubt about it. A&M, of course, is still playing. They've had one guy in the portal so far. That's Ty Hodge. Winning on June 3rd. And this is a team, too, that has really worked the portal really well. Really well. They've signed a handful of guys that have done a great job for them. Matter of fact, it was a Stanford transfer on the Hill that closed out the Super Regional to send them to Omaha. So they went out and they got some grad transfers. Uh, of course, Troy Clonch from Oregon State's done a good job for them. That, that's a former Pac-12, all Pac-12 catcher that is trying to get a master's degree in, in a real estate program that Oregon State doesn't offer and A&M does. So he makes a move down there, and he's been very, very valuable to those guys. Okay, Vanderbilt. You think nobody ever transfers from Vanderbilt. Well, they do. Christian Little is in the portal. Christian Little was the game two starter against Mississippi State in the College World Series final. We got after him pretty good. Isaiah Thomas is in the portal. Isaiah took the year off. You recall Isaiah Thomas had some very negative things to say about Vanderbilt, but didn't have a lot of specifics. You know, shortly after we got out of Omaha, he decides I'm going to take a year off and focus on my mental health. And those things happen a lot. You know what? And if he's got issues, you know, hats off to him for addressing it. Now he's in the portal. Isaiah Thomas is a good player at Vanderbilt. I'm not saying that we go after him, but somebody's going to get him and he's going to have a good good career there. Anthony McGlossio is in the portal and engaged Bradley. And so Vanderbilt's done playing. Uh, we shared beginning of the year. I didn't. I didn't understand the Vandy love. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm not Nostradamus. I get them all right because I, I certainly thought Mississippi State would be better. Vandy, about what I expected. I thought they'd be middle of the road. And people would say, well, Vandy's going to reload. You know, here's the thing that I would say: as long as Tennessee is there and Tony is there, I think Vandy is probably not going to have the free pass they've had before. And there's a lot of discussion about how Tennessee is utilizing the NIL to get guys. Of course, they uh, recently picked up uh, one of the biggest transfers in the portal. Maybe you've heard about this. Maybe you haven't. There's a lot of discussion about this. Um, I mean, a lot. There was a lot of talk about uh, him. About uh, His name is uh, Maya Huna shortstop from Kansas and Islander that uh, signed on with Kansas, now projected to be a first-round draft pick in next year's draft. There was a lot of talk that he was headed to Arkansas. And then all of a sudden we find out that Tennessee has kind of entered things 
and shaking up the uh, apple cart a little bit. He ends up going to Tennessee. And so there's been a lot of chatter about how all that went down, about how NIL was utilized. Uh, there's even some people that claim that schools were contacting him prior to going to the portal. You know, we're not involved in all that. And so we'll just kind of sit back and watch. There's, there's rarely ever, you know, college baseball recruiting scandal. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't happen. But, um, you know, maybe the sport has kind of grown to the point that uh, people are like, well, hey, well, maybe we'll cut some corners. We'll see. A lot of smoke out there, you know, around them, around this particular recruitment, and not necessarily just about Tennessee. Uh, So we'll see. And I can tell you from talking to people in college baseball circles that um, I don't know if it was a family member or, you know, a former coach or something, but there were people supposedly kind of – uh, giving schools a heads up that he was going to go into the portal. Now, that is, there's nothing wrong with that. And you know that happens all over the country in every sport. It's like, hey, hey guys, I don't know if you know this, but so-and-so is going to go in the portal. just want to give you a heads up in case you would have any interest. And so it kind of raises some awareness about the kid. Then he goes in the portal and the people can, can legitimately contact him and have direct conversations with him. Um, yeah, that happens all the time now. I mean, we hear about it all the time in football. It's like, hey, you know, this guy's seven-on-seven coach or his high school coach or one of his position coaches is out, you know, contacting schools to kind of gauge what the interest would be should he go into the portal. Now, should that be outlawed? Well, maybe. I don't know. But here's the reality of it. How do you police that? I mean, and how many rules do we need to have in place anyway? I think the bottom line is this. I think you have to – if you're the NCAA enforcement staff, and this is where I think the NCAA member schools – have to kind of streamline some of this. Okay, it's like now when you've got NIL, okay, let's put some framework up around NIL. This is what's acceptable, this is not. And if you go against that, you're going to get hammered. And let's go ahead and simplify some of these rules about contact. It's one of the things that I've heard too. One of, one of the dumbest rules on the books, I've talked about this for years, is the spring evaluation period. A coach can't meet with a player. You can have a casual greeting. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so. Hand him your card. What sense does that make? It's okay. Well, if I was, if I'm there in the fall, I can have contact with them. I can't do it now. And you and I both know everybody's violating that rule. And the spirit of the rule is just kind of silly anyway. You're not pulling him out of class. I mean, you go out there to a spring practice. You talk to him afterwards. You catch him at a lunch or something. You catch him before school. You go by the weight room and you can't have a five minute conversation with a kid. Doesn't make any sense to me. It's just dumb. And so I hear that rule is going to come off the books. Basically, what is going to happen across sports, this is, again, it hadn't passed yet, but this is what I understand, is it basically if it is an evaluation period, if you can go out on the road and go to a high school, that it's going to be a contact period. Now, the, one of the, the caveats of that is they don't want anybody pulling each other out of class. However, you could have an in-home visit. That makes perfect sense to me. If I'm going to go to all the effort, if I'm going to drive to Osceola, Missouri to go see a kid and watch him practice in person, I should at least have earned the right to have a 10 to 15 minute conversation with he or his family. Just a dumb rule. I mean, what does it help? It doesn't. So, again, I don't want to chase that rabbit trail very long, but we need to have rules on the books that we can enforce, and we need to enforce them with some vigor. The things that don't make a lot of sense that really don't allow a school to gain a competitive advantage, 
and doesn't put the student athlete in a precarious situation, those rules got to be done away with. And so if we're going to, you know, surf the big waves in this new NIL world we're in, then let's do it. It's got to be all or nothing. And so if you want to be able to sit down, if you're Tony Vitello, you know what the guy that's transferring? Maybe it's a big-name pitcher in the portal and says, hey, here's what we can do for you. You come to Tennessee, we have already prearranged an NIL deal that will pay you $100,000. You can say, hey, well, Steve, we're basically buying a player. Yeah, yes, yes. That's exactly what – that's what the NIL basically is paving the way towards. And that way, when that student athlete can take that visit and say, wow, $100,000, well, then I take a visit to Arkansas and it's like, hey, well, what did Tennessee offer you? Well, they offered me $100,000. Well, we can do $120,000. Then you go to Mississippi State, oh, we can do 150000 And you can say, but Steve, I'm about to throw up. You're making my stomach churn. You know, I, I get it. But this is where we are. And if we're going to walk on glass, we may as well dance. That's the way things work. And if Mississippi State's going to be competitive in a recruiting standpoint uh, with teams like Tennessee and Arkansas, that's the price of poker these days. And now the laws of Mississippi are probably among the most um, relaxed in the country because we can start signing guys to NIL deals once they commit. Used to, they had to sign, then enroll for classes. Now they can do it as soon as they commit. And so, which may be a little bit much, but we needed that rule and that law to change in the state of Mississippi to make the state schools more competitive. We've done that. And so tip of the cap to our state legislators for making that happen. But now that it's done, now that that, that impediment has been removed, we got to get to work. Now, the flip side of it is there are a lot of kids out there that aren't getting NIL legislation. And there are some kids out there that may get five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. That seems like big money. It's really not. And so you've got these, basically, these collectives, these conglomerates, these big slush funds that are now legalized. So use it to your advantage. It's as simple as that. Now, how competitive can we be in football? I, I don't know. I think you got, I don't think you can give everybody money. And I don't think you can you don't think you have to do it in baseball. But I think if you can put a package together that basically allows them uh, to be able to to fund their schooling without having to go into, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of debt, it makes perfect sense. And you guys are well aware too when this transformation committee meets again and maybe in August when we get some some clarity on this. If they give the conferences the ability to fully fund baseball, and, of course, they have to decide what the squad size is going to be, well, now all of a sudden you don't have to use all your NIL money for that, right? And so now all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're in the SEC. Oh, well, the ACC is going to only fully fund, you know, 20 scholarships. We may do 25. And so all of a sudden it puts us at a competitive advantage. But, you know, you have the right to do it too. It's not like what's happening now. You know, with some schools out there using need-based aid, and you can say, well, Steve, it's legal for Mississippi State to do it. Yeah, but it's not affordable. But if now all of a sudden, if we can fully fund baseball and say softball and possibly women's soccer, well, now all of a sudden, I think it gives you the ability to recruit at a higher level against some of your Power 5 peers that maybe their conferences aren't going to allow it. And so basically, this is kind of what it's like to be Vanderbilt in some respects. And I submit to you that once there is scholarship equity or equality, shall we say, Vanderbilt is going to recruit much like they do in other sports. Nobody's going to Vanderbilt because of facilities. 
nobody's going to Vanderbilt because of Tim Corbin. They're going to Vanderbilt due to financial aid. It's like, oh, well, I can go to LSU and I got to get, what, $25,000 in student loans, or I can go to Vanderbilt and not have to get any. Well, that's an easy decision to make, especially for a kid that doesn't have a rooting interest in a school, right? And, and these need-based aid kids, too, you know, there's certain economic thresholds. If, if the family doesn't make X number of dollars, will they qualify for a full scholarship under need-based aid? Well, now all of a sudden I can get those kids and still use my 11.7, then I can have the Jack Lighters of the world walk on and pay their way. It's been a great system, but that system is probably about to change. And so watch what I'm telling you with Vanderbilt baseball. I know they're like, oh, you know, we'll get the greatest coach in the country. No, you don't. Oh, we got the greatest facilities, not even in the top 10 in the SEC. Not even close. If you've been to Vanderbilt to watch a baseball game, honestly, Jones County Junior College has a better stadium, has a better fan experience than Vanderbilt does. It's not close. And so there are, again, some changes that are coming. And I think when you see these transfers, I think that's the thing that I point out too, is that when we get players on our campus, Guys that are baseball rats, guys that love baseball, and most college players do, they want to play in big arenas. They want to play in big moments. Mississippi State kind of sells itself in that respect. You go down there to the Mitch Moreland hitting lab. You go to the pitching lab. You're able to check your spin rate. And the facilities here and the player amenities are, are, are second to none. So once we get guys here, it's kind of like the Dan Mullen principle. Dan used to always say, if we can just get guys here, they're surprised. There's so many people out there to think, you know, you're going to pass by, you know, a barbed wire fence in a cow pasture and, you know, Mississippi State's out there cutting up film in a couple of single wide trailers. All of a sudden they get here and they see the beautiful seal complex and they see those great practice fields and they see what we have at Duty Noble Field. They walk around our beautiful campus and you're like, hey, this, this is a lot better than I expected. So, again, it's about getting them here. And, again, I'm, I'm, we'll have an update hopefully on Friday. But I understand we've got a couple of priority baseball targets that are going to be on campus this week. I don't want to put names out there yet, even though I've been told those names. We can't confirm them. A lot of these baseball kids don't want to talk. Not yet. They're happy to talk once they've made their decision. They're still kind of sorting through offers and visit invitations. A lot of people don't want to put things out there yet. So we're respecting their wishes. But once we know... Once we confirm with the players themselves, we're going to share it with you guys over at jeanspage.com and here on the Boneyard. But uh, that's kind of where we stand. Again, a lot of SEC players in the portal, I don't expect us to get any of those guys. Um, I think Christian Little may be headed to Arkansas. Maybe. Maybe. But this is the world in which we live in. And we, you know, we didn't fully utilize the transfer portal to our full benefit last year. But who knew that we would have the injuries that we've had? Should we have gotten some arms last year? Yeah, probably so. But we didn't. But with all we had coming back position-wise, it didn't make sense for us to really be buyers in the transfer market last year. You pretty much knew every position was going to be filled with the exception of second and, and center field. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're able to go secure, um, you know, R.J. Yeager, who proved to be our best player this year. And you've got an army of people. You go get Jess Davis to be your transfer and center to compete with Braylon Skinner. And so you feel like we're in good hands there. So it made sense for us not to be too bullish on the position side of things. And I, I get it. I always want to upgrade, too. There's still a loyalty factor involved, too, especially when you consider you know, returning all these position players that helped us win an AFL championship. So you expect 
these guys to have some consistency in what they do. It didn't pan out for us. You know, we didn't have the big key hit. We didn't have that alpha dog that the game always seemed to find there in the ninth inning. But we needed to go get some arms. And even without the injuries, we needed an arm or two, and we didn't fully utilize that. And so now you can look for Mississippi State to be a lot more aggressive in that respect. And I think when you see how Texas A&M has kind of flipped their roster, A&M was seventh in the West last year, seventh in the West. They ended up being number five national seed this year. So it can be done. And I venture to say that Texas A&M last year was a lot less talented than we were this year. Auburn finished sixth in the West last year, last team to qualify for Hoover. And they were one and done in Hoover. Ole Miss knocks them out of the tournament. They're playing in Omaha. And so there's something to be said for utilizing those transfers. We talked about Arkansas earlier. Arkansas was expected to take a step back this year. They have. They have. And their two leading hitters are transfers. And you know what? They're back in Omaha. And so when I see these people say, oh, well, next year's going to be this. Oh, yeah, you think A&M's people expected them to be competing for an NFL championship this year? Honestly, no. So you go out and you get the right guys, you can make a big difference to your roster. And I expect this roster to be flipped in many respects. you got some pieces coming back that can compete for you. you just got to go find some guys, maybe a stopgap guy or two, uh, that can kind of utilize their experience to help propel this program forward. And you've got a really good recruiting class coming in, the highest-rated recruiting class in the Chris Lamontis era. Now, you don't want to just rely on first-year players, but some of those guys are going to turn out and contribute for us next year. And so I feel good about the direction things are going. We're not there yet. We're not. I like the guys that we've gotten so far. But we need to go get an impact guy or two. We do. We, we need to go find a weekend starter somewhere, at least one. we got to find a closer somewhere. Probably need another outfielder. I'm excited about Colton Ledbetter. I really am. I think if we can get one more guy in the outfield, I think it makes a big difference. Because at this point, you know, to me, the only spot that's secure – is Callum Clark, right? And maybe you leave him in right, maybe you move him to left, I don't know. But you got two outfield spots available, so we're going to compete for those. Second base is available. Nate Chester's coming in, former Missouri player. You know, do you, I don't know if I want to give him the job. I might even go out and take a third baseman. We, knew, we expect Sweet Offer to make a jump for us, but it probably wouldn't hurt us to have another kind of utility infielder. You know, we've lost Tanner Leggett in that respect, too. But if you can find a Tanner Leggett with that level of versatility and perhaps a little more offensive prowess, you've really got something there. And it wouldn't hurt, too, to go get a guy that potentially could be maybe a backup catcher, a veteran catcher, if Luke Hancock doesn't return. And so this is going to be an elongated process. We're not going to have this roster set until August because we're going to wait and see how the draft goes. There are a lot of guys out there that Mississippi State is in conversations with that are still waiting out the draft, and it does not benefit Mississippi State or the player to announce a commitment right now prior to the draft. Because what if, say, State's trying to get, you know, Joe Blow from New Mexico State, and all of a sudden, you know, Ethan Groff from Tulane announces, hey, I'm going to go to Mississippi State, and then he goes in a draft. Well, then Joe Blow from New Mexico State's like, well, well, Ethan's going to Mississippi State, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Then when you circle back to him, it's too late. He may have even enrolled for summer classes in July at his new school. So it's best, even if you have some agreements in place, to allow things to play out a little bit because we may have to double back after the draft and find some veteran guys, perhaps some grad transfers or some juniors that didn't get what they wanted in the draft 
they're looking to boost their stock. So again, be prepared. We may have some more commitments in June. I've shared with you guys before, we're really kind of looking at non-draft guys, you guys that we know will be here at least a year, maybe two. That's kind of being worked through right now, but uh, we got to get an impact guy or two. I mean, absolutely got to get an impact guy or two. Need a big power bat on the right-hand side. Need a veteran guy that can be a double-digit home run from the right side. Feel good about what we have with Kellum Clark and Hunter Hines and now Colton Ledbetter. Uh, you hope that Slate Offord and Aaron Downs can make the jump offensively this year and kind of carry some of the power numbers on the right-hand side. But I suspect we've got to go get a veteran right-handed hitter that can hit with some power. I, I think that is pretty much a necessity uh, to what we're doing kind of moving forward. All right, let's move on. Time for today's top ten list. Is always brought to you by our friend Blair Chandler. Let me give you his number now. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Why do you need that number? Well, maybe you were a person that is kind of dealing with some financial challenges. Maybe you're a homeowner and you have some built-in equity. Perhaps you can use to consolidate that debt to one low monthly payment. Rather than getting on that hamster wheel of revolving debt and running up those credit cards, you can get it taken down. Blair is a guy, too, that is a hard case specialist. Maybe you're a non-conforming borrower. Maybe you have an atypical property. Blair has seen it all and done it all in his 21 years of experience. A mortgage professional, if there ever was one. Two years in a row in the top 1% close ratio nationally. This is a guy to get things done. Visit him at closewithblair.com. at C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, and he can get you taken care of. Perhaps the dream of home ownership has eluded you. Blair is a guy, too, that either can get it done or get you on a path to securing a home of your own. Closewithblair.com. Okay, let's get today's top ten list. This, again, is a Roy suggestion. I like to kind of throw a ball to Roy every now and again because Roy is uh, doing the Lord's work for uh, no pay just because he loves the show. He contacted me in the beginning. I was like, I don't want to mess with all that stuff. He goes, I'll do it for you. Cool. So now these great top 10 lists are available on Spotify as a listening, you know, basically extension of our show. Many of you too, this kind of want to debate with me on the list about where you think I'm wrong. And that's cool too. I enjoy the dialogue. But today we're going to do top 10 rock songs with women's names. And I'm not going to, not in the title, but I'm talking about specifically written about women. Uh, a couple that didn't make our list is Cassie by Flyleaf, Lacey Sturm, the former vocalist of that, spent some time on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, like to throw her some, uh, some praise every now and again. One of the best female rock vocalists of all time. Eleanor Rigby from the Beatles did not make our list. It's a great tune, just not rocky enough for me. Angie from the Stones didn't make the list. It's a little rednecky for me. It's like, it's like Mick Jagger decided to sing a country song. Angie, you know, I like it. It's not one of my favorites in them. And then Helena from My Chemical Romance. That's a rocker right there too. That's that's your honorable mentions for today's list. Number ten though, another banger from one of my favorite modern rock bands. I know some of you listen to the show and say Steve's lost in the '80s, and maybe I am. Maybe I am. 
But this is a band that I have seen in person. I have met these guys. Uh, Johnny, the singer from Nothing More, puts on an amazing show. He wrote a song about his sister entitled Jenny. We've had that on the show before. Jenny is a song about his sister that was uh, dealing with uh, some manic depression issues, some addiction issues. Uh, Their mom was dying of cancer, and he's kind of like, you know, hey, she hung around for you. And uh, it's just one of these songs, too, that's very, very transparent and very open about addiction. And maybe that's why it resonates so much with me. I actually contributed some money to the uh, Jenny Foundation to help people that are kind of cross-diagnosed with mental issues and addiction. Went to a show in Lafayette, Louisiana. Met those guys. Got my uh, I Know Jenny bracelet. As a matter of fact, I, I parted with that bracelet when I was at Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial. I was there to cover the Women's uh, Final Four on our day off. I went to the Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial. If you're ever in the area, let me encourage you to go. There is a fence that is there that people leave things uh, for those kids. They leave it behind kind of, uh, it's one of those things too, I guess. It's one of the only places that I have been where people don't talk. It's like you're, on, you're almost like holy ground in some respects. Out of respect for the dead and the, uh, the impacted, you, just, you feel it would be almost disrespectful to talk. I got on the elevator to go down after it was over, and there was an older couple on the elevator with me, a gentleman and his wife. And she just kept looking at me, and then all of a sudden, she started crying, and she hugged me on the elevator. She was so touched and moved, and then I'm not going to lie, I shed a few tears myself, and I got ready to leave, and I saw all the little stuffed animals and things that people leave for the kids that died in the Oklahoma City Bomb Memorial, and I wanted to leave a part of myself, and I did leave a part of myself in that facility, but I also left my I Am Jenny bracelet on that fence. Just one of those things that I just felt I wanted to leave something. I left that. All right, number nine, speaking of the 80s, we're going with Winger. That's right. I'm down with Stewart from Beavis and Butthead. Looking forward to the new Beavis and Butthead movie. Many of you are unfamiliar with Beavis and Butthead. Maybe you've heard of them. You can find some episodes from MTV's uh, great production of that wonderful series on YouTube. But we're going Winger. Madeline, which was the first single off the debut album. Many of you got into them because of 17 or headed for a heartbreak, but Madeline was the first. And uh, you may not know this, Kip Winger was the bass player for Alice Cooper for a while. Kip Winger is a less dreamy version of me. All right, number eight. I left this song out of the top ten list of Sting. And I, I heard about it from you guys. And you know what? Usually I say your list is wrong. My list was wrong. I, I was a probably a careless omission. I did not include Roxanne. So today, The Police's Roxanne is your number eight song. Number seven, another 80s classic in my mind. Joey Tempest and the guys from Europe uh, had a great guitar player in this band by the name of Key Marcello. Uh, I liked Europe. I know a lot of people thought they were a little bit bubblegum. I thought Europe was really good. I think Joey Tempest can really sing. And I think his vocal performance on the song Carrie is among the best in that catalog. So Europe's Carrie is number seven. Number six, a classic song. If we're going to write a song and we're going to sing a song and we're going to play a song with a lady's name in it, this name is going to come up regularly. It's Maggie Mae by Rod Stewart. Wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say to you. Great song, great story, and Rod Stewart, what an amazing vocalist. An amazing vocalist and a singer-songwriter. Number five, a song that's very special to me, 
It's uh, from the Goo Goo Dolls, and it was actually on the City of Angels soundtrack. Many of you are familiar with that that, that movie, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. Uh, Very, very, very deep movie. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you like it, um, or you check it out. I'm sure you'll like it. But the song Iris from the Goo Goo Dolls, and one of the reasons it's so special to me is this is the song that was played on MTV when my oldest daughter, Audrey, was born. So in many respects, it's become her name. I don't know why we didn't name her Iris, but uh, she has now moved to Florida, and uh, I have spent the, much of this day paying for furniture over the phone uh, to kind of get her settled. That was part of our plan, to move her down there and then get on the ship to go to uh, the Bahamas. Didn't work out that way, but Iris, in honor of my oldest daughter, Audrey, is your number five song. Number four, we're going classic rock the rest of the way. Number four, a song that Gene Simmons says to this day they didn't really care for. And I don't know if it's because of the bitterness against Peter Chris, or the fact that uh, Kiss wanted to be a rock band and this was kind of a tuned down classic, but it's the song Beth from Kiss. A lot of people love this song. I think it is a phenomenal song. And I think it says a lot about you kind of being a rocker and things of that nature and the, and the demands on them while they try to maintain personal relationships. But uh, I was also a Peter Chris fan. I was a Kiss fan. Kiss is the band that really started it for me in the 70s. I'm an old guy. I'm from the 1900s. And so Kiss is the one that put me on the road to rock and roll. Number three, this is a, this is a song to kind of a revival of sorts for the band Boston. Boston was an amazing band. Uh, there will be no reunion, obviously. There have been some deaths in the family. But when Third Stage came out, the song Amanda was everywhere on the radio. And it kind of turned people in my generation on to Boston. You know, we, we, we all familiar, were familiar with the self-titled album and then Don't Look Back. And then Third Stage came out and it was like, wow, this is amazing. These guys are phenomenal. And those harmonies on the chorus, how can you beat it? Number two, one of the first 45s that I ever purchased with my own money. I believe it was on Columbia Records, if memory serves me correct. But it's from a great band. Many of you millennials know this band because of Africa. I got into Toto because of Rosanna. A song about Rosanna Arquette, the multi-talented and beautiful Rosanna Arquette. Uh, one of the members of the band, I guess it was Steve Lukather that was dating her at the time. And so he wrote the song about Rosanna Arquette. So that's who that song is about. That's your number two song, Rosanna. Number one, though, and we got to go out with a banger. This is a band, too, that uh, made our list a while back when we did the Monterey Pop Festival, when they were called the Jefferson Airplane. They eventually became Jefferson Starship and then Starship. And many of you know them from We Built the City. They go back a few years. To me, the best Jefferson Starship song, and it's not close. It's not Sarah. It's Jane. You talk about a banger. Mickey Thomas absolutely destroys this song. Now, one of my favorite COVID covers, and that was a big thing on social media during the quarantine. Is a lot of bands were covering classic rock songs and putting them out there for us to enjoy, and people were doing them over Zoom and things like that. It was great. To me, the best cover was the song Jane, and you can find it on YouTube. Dino Julisic, who is now the keyboard player for Whitesnake, Joel Hoekstra, the guitar player for Whitesnake, and then Mike Portnoy of Dream Theater. And River Dogs was the drummer. It is 
incredible how good it is. I would venture to say it's even better than the original. And I know that sounds sacrilegious, but that's how I see it. Number one, Jefferson Starship's Jane. Top 10 songs with women's names in the title, or women's names are the title. So if you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. Hope you enjoy our list today. If you have ideas, reach out to Roy at Dogmatic67 on Twitter, or you can find me on social media. I'll do my best to forward them to Roy. But I got to admit, I'm not the best with that. I try to be. But if you go directly to Roy, you can find those lists and also, too, find him on Spotify at Dogmatic67. I suggest you subscribe uh, to Roy's list. and It'll just kind of over, just populate onto your Spotify whenever we post a new one. So, again, thanks to Roy for the idea, and thanks for Roy for putting these great lists uh, together. And, again, that's the top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. All right, we didn't do it in the first part of the show, so let's do it now. We partook of some prime shrimp last night, made some gumbo, and had some shrimp on the side. How cool is that? Had some chicken and sausage gumbo. And then we had some of the Louisiana shrimp bowl shrimp as a side. And you talk about a filling meal, my goodness. Go to primeshrimp.com today and order some shrimp for yourself. It's, it's made to cook. It's ready to cook. So there's not all this cleanup and prep that ordinarily goes along with store-bought shrimp. You order it. They come in these very handy pouches. It's well-packaged. It can survive a day out in the Mississippi heat. And you grab those pouches. They don't take up a lot of room in your freezer. Very easy to store, very easy to use. You put on a, a, a pot of water, let it come to a bowl. You drop those shrimp in. Ten minutes later, you're ready to dine. It's outstanding. Sometimes I don't even need anything with it. I just cook it and just eat it. Drain them, put them in a bowl, and just eat them. Because they're already deveined, they're already peeled, and there's no tails. How about that? Saves you a lot of time and effort, and you get New Orleans quality shrimp on your dinner table uh, for next to nothing. And again, use promo code BONDYARD. Save 20 bucks on your first order at primeshrimp.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by campusbookmart.net. I encourage you to go by and see their smiling faces in person. You'll be glad you did. The beautiful and lovely and talented Susie. They're just kind of running the show downstairs, kind of making things happen on the retail side. If you're looking for textbooks, you can find them there as well. Uh, Miss Kathy Brown, just a, a superb buyer when it comes to Mississippi State merch. And Miss Pam Minyard, uh, one of the nicest people on the planet, kind of willing to help you get your purchases made there. They'll treat you like family when you show up because in their minds you are family. Let me encourage you, if you can't visit them in person, check them out on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Net. All right, so maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. I watched it last night, set the DVR to record, watch the Banner Year documentary. Now, it's not going to give you a lot of insight, perhaps, that you didn't know. It's not. But it's going to give you a lot of things that uh, maybe perhaps you've forgotten. I thoroughly enjoyed the production. It is an hour long, not a lot of commercial breaks. Uh, my buddy Dave Murray, of course, is part of it, kind of providing some context about all the near misses. Dak Prescott is a part of it. Of course, Rowdy Jordan, Tanner Allen, uh, Cameron James, 
Landon Sims, Logan Tanner, Will Bednar, you know, a lot of those guys that uh, were the key part of our run to a NAFL championship. And so the SEC Network puts it out. Now, I'm interested, too. I love seeing the comments on Facebook uh, because here's the thing that I have learned, and maybe I'm maturing a little bit. You know, if the SEC Network makes a tweet or a post on social media about another SEC team, we don't have to respond. You know, we don't have to have an opinion on everything. But they put this up there, and all of a sudden somebody's like, well, hey, how about the Vols? You know, how, how about you, New Money? How about you? You didn't win an AFL championship. We did. We didn't control the timing of the release of this. And yeah, we had a bad year. So what about the Vols? Well, we love the Vols. Well, I'm sure you do. But this isn't a, pr- a production about the Tennessee Volunteer Baseball Program. Maybe if you had won an AFL championship, you'd have one of your own next year. And then, of course, there's the Arkansas fans. And they run out there, well, hey, what about us? Well, what about you? Maybe you guys should win something. But we swept those guys last year. Yeah, you did. You did. And then you watched us from home in Omaha. You watched us win an AFL championship, and I'll be honest with you guys, we know at some point you're going to win one, and maybe it's this year. But we wanted to make sure we won one before you because we were committed to college baseball with a lot more authority than you were a lot earlier. So we deserved it. Not saying that you don't deserve one, because I believe it's just a matter of time before Arkansas wins one. But why do we have to run to social media and feel the need to defend our programs? And, of course, there's almost people all over it. Well, they really defended enough for total this year. Hey, you know what? We, they didn't take it away from us. How about that? We could have went winless this year, and they wouldn't have taken a trophy from us. And the thing that I point out, too, is we actually, you know, won a tournament, right? We didn't, like, depend on the Duckle Index or the Lichtenhaus, whatever crap that was, and, you know, the, you know, the Golf Digest poll to claim our national championship. We won it on the field. So we don't owe an apology to anybody. And, like, I read these things, people say, well, NC State, guys, we would have beat NC State in two games instead of beating Vanderbilt in three. And the reality of it, too, is everybody understood the COVID protocol. And as bad as I feel for those kids, everybody understood the risk. And many of them elected not to get vaccinated. Now, whether you agree with it or not, that's the rules. So if you're vaccinated, you don't have the same testing regimen. But they elected not to get vaccinated. And and what I was told, too, is NC State had the fewest number of players vaccinated in the College World Series field. And lo and behold, they have an outbreak. So they don't get to play. They weren't on our side of the bracket. And I don't believe they would have beaten Vanderbilt in game two anyway. Do you? I mean, let's be honest. What would have happened if Jack Leiter would have pitched against NC State in an elimination game? Well, they'd have won the game. You can say, well, Steve, you never know. And you're right, you never know. But the reality of it is, is we didn't get a pass to anything. We did it the hard way. Ended up playing Texas, what, three times last year? And beat them two out of three. Beat them in Arlington, beat Ty Madden two out of three times. You know, we understand we put in four times last year. But you understand my point, and it's like I think what the Banner Year documentary kind of illustrates is, is how difficult it was, you know, for us to get there. And not only two, I think Chris Lamonis made a great point too. This is probably the best college baseball year we've ever had, not Mississippi State, 
but college baseball as a whole because you had the abbreviated draft the previous year, only five rounds. So you had a lot of players that ordinarily would have been drafted that came back to school. And then you had the benefit of so many people having the COVID year. So you had a lot of seniors. So you had old players in college baseball. So you can say, yeah, well, Steve, Steve, they benefited from having Tanner Allen back. You're absolutely correct. But everybody else benefited too. And I would submit to you that the path to win the NFL championship last year was more difficult than it's ever been in the history of college baseball because of the quality of play that we saw throughout the country due to the fact that rosters were older. Let that sink in for a second. It's not like we're the only ones that got good players back. It's not like we're the only ones that got some guys to come to school that probably would have been drafted in the top 10 rounds because there weren't 10 rounds. And so I submit to you then, again, watch Banner Year. You'll be happy you did. And, again, I think it's going to bring up these feelings of nostalgia. There were times, man, I was fighting back tears too because it means so much to us. And it's kind of put me in a position now too. It's like, I'll be, I don't want Ole Miss to win it. I don't. And, like, I've read the comments. People are like, oh, we only got to celebrate it for a year. I'm going to celebrate that NAFL championship the rest of my life. And Ole Miss is a good baseball program. At some point, they may win one. It's not going to make me feel any worse about ours. You know, do they win it this year? I don't know. But the bottom line is, is that um, nobody can ever take this away from us. And I, I appreciate the SEC Network putting something together that allows us to relive it. If you're looking for something else to relive it, go to dogpilethebook.com. Get you a copy of Dogpile. Many of you have been kind of maybe, I guess, disenfranchised about Mississippi State baseball because of the fact the season didn't go the way we hoped. But the second printing of Dogpile is now available. And uh, we had to string it together there at the end, but now there's uh, about 6,000 copies available. Get yours today, whether you're buying it for somebody else and, uh, or yourself. So my hope is after you're watching now, you think, you know what, this is a moment I can still be proud of. I'd like to have it uh, in a recollection of this and a record of these events in my hands at all times. So go to dogpodbook.com and get that for you. Now, breaking news since I had to pause the show because Mississippi State has picked up another football commitment. Not expected, unexpected. Kelly Jones from Clarksdale High School. He is a guy that I have been beating and drum about for weeks, months, on the jeanspage.com message boards. I really like his game, and after watching him play in person – I like him even more. Kelly Jones, a guy that basically had junior college offers, kind of tucked away, needed to go to camp, kind of prove what he could play. He plays safety and quarterback in high school. Projected as a corner for Mississippi State since State's offered. Of course, Ole Miss has inquired. Georgia State has inquired. Arkansas State has offered. And there will be more offers that come along. But Kelly tells me, doesn't really matter. State loves me more. State wants me more. But this is a guy, we talk about diamonds in the rough. We talk about sleepers. This is a guy, from the very first time I watched his film, I'm, I'm just like, what am I missing here? Why didn't this guy have half a dozen offers already? Well, number one, Ole Miss not really recruiting the state of Mississippi. Uh, they're kind of spot recruiting and then kind of working the transfer portal. Uh, I don't understand why Southern Miss had an offer. They built the program on players just like Kelly Jones. And I don't know why Memphis hadn't offered either. But uh, I think now that there have been, uh, you know, maybe maybe the light's been shined on him. He's going to add some additional offers. But I expect this commitment to stick. Uh, 6'3", they list him, I think, at 190. He's not that big. He's probably 175-ish. I think he can play corner, but it'll be interesting to see how he grows 
once he gets into a college weight room, once he gets on a nutrition plan, could he, you know, grow into a safety? He absolutely could. But I think, you know, Mississippi State, we played the best, best five defensive backs kind of regardless of projected position. This guy can play. He can absolutely play. And one of the things that I respect the most about him is at camp, like if guys did want to go, guys got tired, he kept going over and over and over again. He wanted this offer. He wanted the opportunity to be a Bulldog. And he wanted to show your coaching staff that he was capable of doing this. He was capable of making things happen. And he's done it. And now he's committed. So now Mississippi State now has two of those four players in the Mississippi Delta they have offered. Dante Kelly commits earlier this week and now Kelly Jones. Now the, the watch kind of moves to LaKendra James, linebacker from Northside High School. And there's Amarian Blakes. I think he's a guy, too. Maybe you've got to evaluate him a little bit longer. Maybe. But I would take all four of them and feel good about life. You know, I, I really would. But uh, I told you guys earlier the Delta is much, much better this year because you've got talent like you normally do. But in addition to that, you got guys that have grades. you got guys that are going to qualify. And that's one of those things that happens. There are a lot of times you fall in love with these guys and you think, okay, well, this guy's going to be great, and then he didn't qualify. So, or he's not on the path to qualify, and then all of a sudden your coaching staff elects to go somewhere else because you just can't sign a non-qualifier anymore. It just doesn't work that way. And so this year you've got guys that have SEC skill, SEC size, SEC talent, and now SEC grades – are able to get into school. And so the Delta has been very good to Mississippi State over the years. And now Mississippi State kind of returning to favor again. I have felt all along that State was going to make a solid run in the Delta. That run has begun this week. Now, if you've kept up with any of the bones on uh, jeanspage.com, and you certainly should have, I've kind of been forecasting that for a little while. I think State's fixing to go on a run in State, especially in the Mississippi Delta. Could get all four of those guys committed very, very soon. Two of them are in. I think like Kendrick James is next, and then we'll see on Blake's. We'll see. I think State could have all four of those guys if they really wanted to. Both of those guys are talking about committing early, and if State's willing to take them, it makes perfect sense for them to go ahead and jump on those guys. So, wanted to get that guys that out to you guys as quickly as we can. Uh, I am a, a – Kelly Jones fan and have been since the very first time I watched his film. As I think to myself when I watch, this is a guy that we have built a program on. Let's offer him. And the good thing is, is that there were a lot of other schools that were kind of sleeping on him a little bit. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, Louisiana Tech and Louisiana Monroe both had coaches at our camp Friday night. Both of them talked to Kelly Jones, and I thought this guy is going to go from no Division One offers to three in a night. Very impressive athlete. Very impressive athlete. And so we'll see how things develop and progress. I think it's one of those things, too, where, you know, we talk all the time about the quality of the in-state class. This is such a weird year because, guys, keep coming up, keep coming up, keep coming up, keep coming up. And this is one of those guys. I think you got to go find the guy that fits what you want to do. And there may only be one, maybe two corners signed in this class. And Kelly Jones will, will, you know, probably take a corner spot right now, and then we'll see how he develops. You know, maybe he moves to free safety. But when you can get long, lean defensive backs that can run, that have some grit and toughness about them, you take them, and that's what you have in Kelly Jones. Very, very excited about this pickup. I don't care what his offer sheet looks like. It makes no difference to me. I know what the tape shows. I've been doing this long enough to know an SEC player when I see one, 
in the moment that I saw Kelly Jones, I knew that he was an SEC guy. Now, the rest of it's not up to him. You know, he's got to get in a weight room and kind of embrace that and be able to take coaching. And uh, he comes from a great program, uh, plays for Coach Henry Johnson there at Clarksdale High School. That's a great program that's won an awful lot. And Henry has won everywhere he has been. And so I think it's important to kind of understand the pedigree and the foundation of his football development has been poured by somebody that knows what they're doing and also somebody that has sent several players onto the college level. And uh, Elton Jenkins and JT Gray, those guys are just outstanding people that have had uh, great experience here at Mississippi State. And so when you look at that, when you look at the fact that that's two guys that came to Mississippi State put in some good years, and now they're both all pros in the National Football League. If you're from Clarksdale, Mississippi, why else would you go? Why else would you not go to Mississippi State? Because, you know, your your friends, your neighbors, your, your mentors, the guys you look up to, you get a chance to follow in their footsteps, and they're guys that have gone to the National Football League. It makes perfect sense. And so, again, Kelly Jones now. Mississippi State, verbal commitment. Let's run down the commitment list really quick here. Um, not going to spend a lot of time on this because we got we got to get moving. Time to get out of here. But um, all right. So looking at the uh, if I can get back to the home side here. Again, state doing well on the in-state side of things. No no question about it. And again, I think you're going to see more of that. Six commitments now. Five of them from the state of Mississippi. Kelly Jones unranked at this point by two four seven. Uh, I suspect his ranking will be eighty four eighty five ish. Dante Kelly recently got his composite rating. He's an 84, 89. A lot of people have him by 85. I think that's undervalued. Joseph Head is an 86. Malik Ellis, 87. Uh, Malik's ranking has actually come down, which I don't know that I fully understand. And then Seth Davis, uh, a guy that was border borderline being a four-star, and I think people had a chance to see him in person and um, a little different. Uh, but Ty Jones, an 88.9, the state's current highest-rated commitment. And here's the thing, too. Uh, recruiting rankings matter. They do, but I am uh, absolutely okay with every one of these takes. I think every one of these guys is going to contribute to Mississippi State. So six commitments now. Told you guys business was going to pick up after camp. It is, and we're not done yet. The College World Series will kick off on Friday. The field finally set. You know, we had some really good games on Monday. Auburn kind of surprised me a little bit. They beat Oregon State, outpitched Oregon State. How about that? All right, so here's how the games are going to play out. So Friday, Oklahoma versus Texas A&M. That's a 1 p.m. Central start. Uh, A&M, one of the only two top eight national seeds to make the field at Omaha. How about that? Notre Dame will be the nightcap. It'll be a 6 p.m. Central start. Notre Dame versus Texas, which could be the biggest game of the weekend. Arkansas takes on number two, Stanford, the other top eight national seed to survive the Super Regional round. That is the afternoon game on Saturday. That's a 1 p.m. start. That's on ESPN. The nightcap, Ole Miss versus Auburn. That's a 6 p.m. start. So we're going to get started, and I think it's going to be a very entertaining College World Series. I know many of you will enjoy the College World Series much more uh, when Ole Miss is eliminated, and we certainly hope that they are. Uh, But what's interesting, too, the format of this has changed a little bit. You don't get that extra day off that you ordinarily got. So let's say here, A&M, Oklahoma play Friday. Well, the winner of that game 
will we'll go on to Sunday. So you get Saturday off. The loser of that game is going to drop down to elimination game. The losers will play at 1 p.m. on Sunday. And then the winner of that, the one that survives, uh, will go on to Tuesday. And so you remember last time it took us like two weeks to get this thing taken care of? Uh, this is going to happen basically in a week. You're going to have a week, and then you're going to get right into right into uh, the College World Series final. That's going to begin in 10 days from now. So rather than be this two-week adventure where you're gone from home and have to give it like your notice at work, uh, this is going to basically be played in about 10 days. So the College World Series, barring rain, will end on Monday, June 27th. You know, we didn't get home till the month of July last year. So it's going to cut a few days off. And so what that means, too, is the teams that have pitching depth are going to benefit. So there wouldn't be this whole situation, you know, of Rocker and Bednar coming back. You know, you're going to have to play these games deeper in the tournament, you know, with guys that are a little down your roster a little bit. So that'll be interesting. How does everybody handle you know, the abbreviated schedule. I, I, I kind of like it, to be honest with you. I, I like the fact that we're going to be able to watch games on Friday. We're going to be able to watch games on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We're going to get college baseball every day next week with the exception of Friday. That'll be the day off. And then we get baseball again Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So starting Friday through a week from Monday, we're going to have college baseball every single day with one exception. So that's exciting. So uh, I told you guys before, I, I picked Stanford to win it. I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with that. I thought Stanford, again, were tested. You know, they got in the loser's bracket. And they're on regional. They battled back. They, they lost game one of the Super Regional against UConn. They battled back to win those last two. I think they're a team that feels like they're a team of destiny. Uh, you know, in Arkansas, of course, Arkansas really has no pressure on them. You know, last year, Arkansas had all the pressure on them because they were the hunted. I think this year it's one of those situations where Arkansas is like, you know what, we weren't even supposed to be here. You know, that was the goal beginning of the year, but the month of May we didn't play good baseball, so everybody kind of gave up on us, but yet here we are. Arkansas could be a dangerous team. Auburn, I think Auburn can make this thing awfully interesting. A lot of people said, well, we really wanted Oregon State to win because they have the pitching to shut down all Miss. You know, that ballpark, is uh, it's a tough place to hit home runs. I do think something's going on with the balls. I've seen this statistic. People talked last year, only three teams hit 100 home runs. This year, 19 have. Uh, you know, last year we went to Omaha. It was like all of a sudden they rolled out a new quality baseball and there was more home runs hit than we anticipated. But Auburn, with Butch Thompson, will have a pitching plan to keep Ole Miss in the ballpark. And I think Auburn is athletic enough in the outfield uh, to run those balls down in the gap. Because as you guys know, you know, to win games in Omaha, you got to be able to hit line drives. you got to be able to string hits together. You can't just rely on the home run. And that's one of the reasons that I think Stanford is so dangerous. I think Stanford is one of those teams that's kind of built for this ballpark. Now, the top half of the bracket, I think, will be awfully interesting. You know, Texas and Notre Dame, kind of a conflict in styles in some respect. You know, Notre Dame gets by basically on – they're kind of like a West Coast team. They pitch it well. They play good defense. They play a little small ball. They run the bases a little bit. You know, Texas is kind of this prospecty, gargantuan team that wants to go out there and hit home runs. And you got to keep uh, you know, Melendez in the yard. We struggled doing that last year, but the other times we made him look a little silly too. He had the one big home run off Parker Stinnett. But 
you know, by and large, we pitched him pretty well. But that guy is a monster. And then A&M and Oklahoma. It's like I look at that game and I think to myself, how did these two teams get here? I mean, how, how are we talking about this? You know, Oklahoma gets hot late. They win the Big 12 tournament. They go to Florida. And, you know, what is happening in Florida? I mean, can you, can you, can you be satisfied with a season this year if you're Florida? You absolutely can't. I know you host it, but then you get bounced out of your own regional and the team that beats you goes to Omaha. And then you look at A&M, and again, it's like you look at their numbers and you think, okay, well, where, who's the star? There aren't, there's not a star on the team. They're not. It's just a really great ball team from top to bottom. They, they don't do anything great. But they do everything well. They don't do anything poorly. They don't give you a lot defensively. They don't walk you a lot. They don't give up many many home runs. They pitch it pretty well. Of course, Nate Yeski is there, so you expect them to have a good plan. And Oklahoma's a team that's kind of a launch angle offense. So I, I could see A&M kind of hanging around here. How would you like to see Texas and Texas A&M in a winner's bracket game in Omaha? be awfully fun. Notre Dame, how do they respond after an emotional win at Tennessee? Nobody, people, nobody expect them to win except maybe them. And they did. And so, can they come back out of the clouds? You know, last year they felt like they had been uh, disrespected and overlooked and not given a top eight national seed. And they come out this year with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They don't make it again. They don't even host this year. And then here they are. And that's the thing I look at this. This is really, in many respects, kind of a college world series of redemption. There are a lot of teams here that uh, have something to prove. You know, A&M, of course, you know, Jim Sloshnagel and A&M, probably the best story in college baseball this year, if we're being honest. You know, Oklahoma, a team that uh, was kind of overlooked. A lot of people said, well, Texas or Texas Tech will win the Big 12. Oklahoma does. Oklahoma wins the tournament. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But I'm like all of you. Really pulling hard. I think Stanford will win it, but I'm pulling for Auburn. And I'm pulling for Butch Thompson. And not just because they're playing Ole Miss first, even though that's kind of a, you know, a game of convenience for us. But I want Butch Thompson to win. Now, I wouldn't be upset, you know, if Arkansas won. Really, if any of these four teams in bracket two, with the exception of Ole Miss, win, I would be okay. I think Stanford plays a really good brand of baseball. But I, I look at that top half of the bracket, and I really think that is going to be the funner side of the bracket. I, I really do. I think those four teams, when you mix them in and you begin to look at the styles that they play and how they're so dissimilar, I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be absolutely outstanding. I'm really glad that's day one. That's one benefit, too, I guess, for my not being on the, uh, on the cruise ship is I'll be able to sit home and watch all these games. And I'm going to vegetate uh, in front of the television and watch these games, and, and we're going to enjoy it. And my hope is next year we're back there. It feels weird watching all this postseason baseball without Mississippi State. You know, like some you know, when I watch NFL football, once the Pittsburgh Steelers are eliminated, like football season's over for me. It's a little different with college baseball, but uh, it just feels weird for us not to at least be in a super regional, even if we didn't make it to Omaha. You know, it just feels weird. And I thought that, you know, when Landon Sims went down, I'm thinking, well, all right, now we go from a situation to be a top eight national seed to possibly just being a regional host, and we lose Stone Simmons. I'm thinking, okay, we'll still travel somewhere. And then all of a sudden the injuries pile up, and you're thinking, man, we're just hoping to make it to Hoover. And we didn't. But it does. It feels really weird. Like many of you, that's kind of how I feel. I just think to myself, 
you know, we've got to fix this. And we're going to fix it not only through the transfer portal, but through this great class that we've signed that's incoming. It looks like we, we should retain everybody but one player, maybe two. And a lot of it's just going to depend on how the draft falls. I mean, there's probably three or four guys we're watching right now and kind of wondering about, kind of worry, worried about where they project and, and uh, who's going to get them. And, of course, uh, you got the combine out there. And there's just a lot to it. But I have confidence that Chris Simonis and Scott Foxhall and Kyle Cheesebro and Jay Gotro are going to put this thing together. They're going to flip this roster around very, very quickly. And, again, there are some big names that are expected to be on campus this week. Once I can share more about that, I will. And hopefully, you know, we're writing a commitment story. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Rather than just doing a, uh, an interview. Um, I hope that's the case. Because I, I firmly believe once guys get here, and they truly see how committed we are to college baseball and their own development as players. I think it's difficult to walk away from that. And listen, you go to Arkansas, it's great. It really is. You go to LSU, it's great. It really is. But as great as those venues and facilities are, they're not as great as what we have here at Mississippi State. They're not. Got great fan base and fan support down there. Yeah, absolutely do. Same thing at Ole Miss, you do. Even though I think they've let that stadium get a little antiquated and old. But the commitment to play big-time baseball is here in the SEC West. It's not just a football-only division. And so if you want to play in those grand cathedrals of college baseball in front of those huge crowds, you, you certainly would rather come here. Now, I remember talking to Nate Chester. He talks about Missouri. And we talk about fall baseball. He said that Coach Simonis has told him, hey, you know, it's not what you're used to. You come for fall baseball, there's going to be, you know, a lot of people there. And he was asking me about that. He goes, what is that? What was he talking about? And I said, well, it's, not, it's nothing for us to have 1,000 people at a fall baseball scrimmage. He's like, what? And I said, yeah. And then when we, like, when we played UL Lafayette a couple years ago, played Alabama last year, you got thousands and thousands of people there to watch a fall baseball scrimmage. And he goes, that would sell out Mizzou. I said, I know. I understand. And I think there are a lot of people, even people that are being recruited by and have interest in Southeastern Conference programs, don't fully understand what Mississippi State has to offer until they get here. And so Chris Lamonis and those guys got to get here. It's just like when I interviewed Lamonis for Dogpile. He said when Bo Hemphill drove the pickup truck around, they opened the gate, let him walk in the backside of Duty Noble Field. He said his daughter just looked at him and said, Dad. He goes, I know. I know. And that's what happens when people see the majesty of Duty Noble Field and they begin to imagine what it's like to hear their walk-up song, and to hear all of you chanting their name. Rowdy Jordan told me when I interviewed him a couple years ago, I guess it was last year actually, Rowdy said when John Cohen was recruiting him, he said, you're going to get a big head at Duty Noble Field, and the crowd's going to be chanting, Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy. And how prophetic did that prove to be? Rowdy Jordan, every time he had the big hit, or he came up in the big situation, that you all, were instrumental in that. And how many other college baseball players and how many high school prospects around the country saw that and said, man, look at the love affair that that fan base has with that team. We don't just play college baseball because we have to. We play college baseball because we want to and because we love to. And there is this incredible relationship between this town, this fan base, and this team. And in many respects, it has kind of become our identity. You heard Dak Prescott say last night on the Banner Year, as much as it pains me to say it, Mississippi State's a baseball school. Other people don't. They're like, oh, Steve, no, we're not. Y- yes, we are. 
We are a baseball school. And I think because of the fact that we show such love and affection for this team and these players, um, when they get here and they realize that, they want to be a part of that. R.J. Yeager shared with me this year that the greatest decision that he ever made was making the decision to come to Mississippi State. He said, nothing against my experience at Mercer, and I made some great friends there and some great coaches and a great career, uh, but coming to Mississippi State was kind of what I always wanted. I wanted to be able to play at this level against this competition in front of these kinds of fans. And so I encourage you, just hang in here with the staff. They're about to flip this roster. They're about to bring some guys in. It's going to get us back in the postseason. And this time next year, when you're listening to the show, I'm going to be in Omaha. I believe that. I believe we're going back to Omaha next year. And people say, Steve, we at least got to get in the regionals. We're going to be better than that. We're going to be better than just making the regionals next year. I, I, I firmly believe that. I don't think you go out there and you work the portal and you make the roster moves we have just to make a regional somewhere. We're trying to get back in the top eight national seed discussion because that's what you guys expect. That's what this administration demands. That's what this coaching staff strives for every single year. It's not, well, we've won an AFL championship, so it's just kind of sit around and you know, rake in the money and kind of relax for a while. There's nobody on this staff that's relaxing. And every time that I interact with those guys, you can hear and feel the urgency in everything they do. And the more you mention, hey, man, did you watch that game last night? You can almost see Scott Foxhall kind of just put his head down because we should be playing. And that's the expectation. That's the belief is that if college baseball is still being played, we should be there. And so I believe I share with confidence with you that your coaching staff feels the same way you do. They see it the same way you do. That just getting there wasn't enough. Just getting to the top of the mountain wasn't like the end of our journey. In many respects, it was kind of the first step on a new journey and a new identity for us. And you go back to Chris Simonis' very first press conference, he goes, we embrace the fact that Mississippi State expects to win NAFL championships. Not a NAFL championship, NAFL championships. And I still believe Chris Simonis is a generational coach. I believe that Chris will be a guy that uh, your kids are bringing their kids to see at baseball camps in the years to come. I'm a firm believer in this staff, firm believer in this administration, and I'm a firm believer in this fan base and this program, and I hope you are as well. All right, if you haven't done so, again, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can get autographed copies or signed copies. Or if you don't want my signature, that's fine, too. You can get copies of all my sports books there. You get Blooms of Oleander. That's the poetry book. You can get that at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com, or have your local bookstore order it. Looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. You probably need a new T-shirt anyway. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>